This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year we are exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. And here we've been for a, a few weeks in Acts, and we're going to remain there today taking a look at, at the balance of Acts chapter 23. Just to bring everybody up to speed, Paul was finishing his third missionary journey, left the contact with the Ephesian elders, and then ended up being shipped to the coastal city of Caesarea in Judea, which is what we know as Israel. From there, he went to Jerusalem, where things got pretty rough, and they wanted to get rid of him and kill him. There was a plot to do away with him. The Sanhedrin leaders wanted to execute him and ambush. So, But Save the Day was a commander, a Roman commander, who came along. And so we're going to pick up the story there where the Roman commander is now transporting Paul, the prisoner, from Jerusalem back to the coastal city, the modern city of Caesarea. And so we're going to pick up the story there. Now, you know, Ben, I'm, I'm looking at the beginning of this. And I'm telling you, it seems like overkill because you got Paul and he's this guy who is... He, he's a he's a religious guy by training, a Pharisee, and while he had some authority, he certainly wasn't like a trained zealot. He wasn't a, a soldier, but we pick up this story in, in Acts chapter 23, verse 23, and it looks like he was. It starts off, then he, and that's a reference to the, the Roman commander named Claudius Lysias, then he, the commander, called two of his centurions, and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. So they're going to travel at night. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix over in Caesarea. All right. So here's, here's my thing. Uh, 200 soldiers, 200 spearmen, 70 horsemen for Paul. I mean, there might have been a little bit of an entourage around him, you know, of, of some of his other religious people that we have seen along the way. Philip the Evangelist, you know, what might have been there, and, and maybe James, some of the other elders, maybe Peter. I don't know if they were there or not. But doesn't this seem like, like a lot? You're getting two centurions, which by definition, they're commanders over a hundred people. So there's two. This makes sense. Two hundred soldiers. Like there's a there's a lot of people that are hauling Paul on this journey from Jerusalem over to the coastal city in the dark of the night. Like what in the world is going on here? Yeah. Well, the this commander Claudius he he couldn't have Paul a Roman citizen be killed under his watch. And so he wasn't, he wasn't about to let anything uh, happen to Paul. And with everybody enraged in Jerusalem, wanting to kill Paul, uh, yeah, he, he just brought out the big time show of force uh, to make sure that there was no way. So it's a safe face move for him. It is think? a safe face. Like if you want to come at this guy, you are not going to make it out alive. And so, and even with that, he still has him moved at night. He right. doesn't march him out in the middle of the day. Um, so the am- this is like the ambush people he thinks might still be lying in wait along the road. Yep, 
make it through all the spearmen and the soldiers and the horsemen. So it's safe face, but it's protect the prisoner. I mean, like, yeah, I think it just seems like a lot of overkill for an evangelist. Right, right. Again, but in his mind, it's not like, oh, this is Paul, you know, Jesus loving Paul. For him, it's this is Paul, Roman citizen Paul, who was born into this citizenship. And so wasn't going to take the risk of Paul being killed by this Jewish mob. It just was not going to happen. Yeah, man, it seems like it would have been a good time to, you know, like to rob the marketplace in Jerusalem. I mean, all the soldiers are headed out of town. I don't. I mean, there probably were a lot more. I have no idea. But it, I just read when I read it, I thought there's a there's a lot going on here. So so Claudius, the commander, is sending him away, but he's staying back in Jerusalem. But he writes a letter and sends it with one of the guys, and he writes the letter to the governor named Felix. This would have been the same position that was held by Pontius Pilate, I believe, back in the day when Jesus was arrested. And as with Pontius Pilate, Felix would have spent the vast majority of his time in Caesarea. I mean, might as well be in the modern city, the port city. You know, it's like the beaches and all the, I mean, they had Hippodrome. They had had tons of stuff that was going on there where they could watch chariot races and there was a, a, a place where they could come together and have live shows and things they were watching in this huge amphitheater. That's the place to hang out, not Jerusalem. So Governor Felix was there in Caesarea, and he writes him a letter and says this, and I pick it up in the very last word in verse 26, and then on into verse 27 and beyond. And his letter says, Greetings, this man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him. But I came with my troops and rescued him, for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, that is, their religious law. But there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So Claudius is, Claudius is looking pretty good in this letter. He doesn't say, you know, I threatened to beat him and to flog him and to sort of beat the truth out of him. He's trying to maybe clean up the record a little bit. But he, he's reminding, he's letting Governor Felix know that he's treated this man fairly. And it goes on in verse 31. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day, they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. So they were a distance away, and some of them got to come home some of them went forward. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to the governor. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from, learning that he was from Cilicia. He said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's 
palace. So here's this guy, Paul now, and he's in one of the most beautiful places in that part of the world. It was a fairly modern, recently built place. He was in a palace, Herod's palace. It was the it would be the home headquarters for the governor. And he's in this beautiful palace, but he's kept under guard while he's awaiting it. It's a the the closest thing I can I can think of this in my own experience is years ago when um when I was in Jamaica and it was in one of the poorest areas of Jamaica and we were in a, a coastal town and our our job there was to build this small house, like a ten foot by twenty foot house for some people who had lost everything in, in a hurricane years ago. And so they had nothing. We were building this, our team was building a small house and it was across the street was the beach. And at the end of the beach was the ocean. And I I thought, and I went when I went over there, it was, I I thought this, this would be worth millions of dollars in the U S and there it was for the homeless and the poverty stricken and I always thought, you know, poverty in paradise. I, I remember thinking that over and over and over when I was there. And in this case, Paul's experiencing prison in paradise. And your surroundings can look one way, but your experience of those surroundings can look another way. And so Paul, I, I don't know if he was looking out the window every day and thinking, I'd like to go for a dip in the water, you know, <laughs> or I'd like to go down to where the horse races are happening or where the theater is, is, is coming alive in the amphitheater or something like that. He probably can hear the sounds around him of all these things that are taking place, yet he's under guard the whole time. Uh, d- describe like what you think Paul's going through as he's experiencing this in his own life. He's not free to go and be an evangelist but he's not in the worst prison in the world. He's in a palace. What are your, what are your thoughts on, on that whole scenario as it lays out before us? Yeah. And inevitably Paul is uh, telling those that, that are guarding him about Jesus. Um, because if there's one thing that we've seen, uh, see about Paul, especially into the future is when he's in Rome, he's sharing Christ with the whole palace guard. And so, you know, Paul was always on mission relative to uh to Christ. And so while yeah, I'm sure that uh, you know his, his surroundings had had dramatically uh changed, uh the mission hadn't uh for Paul. And so not to to hyper spiritualize the the situation, um but that that's most likely uh if if uh, just from seeing Paul's consistent work and what we'll see in the future with him I have a feeling those those five days were spent uh, evangelizing, bearing witness to Christ uh, to those who were around him. Yeah, the poor guard, right? Yeah, they didn't have a chance. That's right. Captive audience, for for sure. Well, it does say that five days in chapter twenty four. Now, five days later, the high priest Ananias shows up. So he was the guy that ordered Paul get punched in the mouth, and he was the the person who was the head, the high priest, the, the leader of the Sanhedrin, the religious authorities in Jerusalem. And so he went he he went to Caesarea, it says, with some elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. That sounds like a very Greek name. So the Jews weren't above hiring a Roman to be their lawyer. 
to to do their dirty work for them. It doesn't as my reading of that at least, right? Yeah. Yeah, they their their bigger concern was uh, making sure that that Paul met his uh his end date. Um so how dare he take the gospel to the Gentiles? Right. But we're going to use a Gentile to prosecute you for associating with the Gentiles. That's right. <laughs> Maybe I'm reading this too simply. I don't know, but it, it seems like that's just messed up in so many ways. So they brought this lawyer named Tertullus and they they brought their charges against Paul, it says, before the governor. Verse 2, chapter 24. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you. This is normal in the speeches that were given of that day. They would always build up the the one and the authority. I, I, I've read that and studied that. And I see that as a pattern and we're going to see Paul even do the same thing. He says, we have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Build him up, butter him up. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, Governor Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. So it's also like the setup to what they're doing and what they're going to say against Paul. And they make some accusations against him that he was, it says in verse 5, a troublemaker. He was stirring up riots, and he's the ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Didn't even want to call them Christians. Uh, this sect of people that were from Nazareth, or, or Jesus was from Nazareth, and they called him the Nazarene sect. And it says he tried to desecrate the temple because they thought he was bringing Romans into the temple, which was actually inaccurate as we um, took a look in the previous chapters of Acts. So like they're bringing these accusations against him. It says in verse 9, the other Jews joined in the accusation asserting that these things were true. So here's all the accusations coming at Paul, that he's a troublemaker, that he stirs up riots, he's a ringleader. And, and all these things, but that's not what they're really upset about. I, I, I mean, unless I'm just like missing something, they're really upset because they think he's desecrating the pure Jewish faith as they understood it. But they have to know that the Romans don't care at all about their perception of the pure Jewish faith. So they're 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 bringing up things that would make the Romans come against this Roman citizen, Paul, that he stirs up riots. Am I, am I like seeing this the right way? Right. Well, and, and again, the, the Romans don't want to have to deal, uh, with some sort of Jewish uprising in, in Jerusalem. And so, uh, the Jewish religious leaders are ultimately presenting a case that, yeah, that Paul is, is, you know, the the one who is creating this disruption, the one who is uh is uh you know uh, c- causing the temple to be impure, all all of these things that he's the troublemaker, that he's the one who's at fault for uh for you know the the riot or whatever that's happened back in Jerusalem as they try to a- attack him. And so I think their their thought, their hope is that ultimately the the Roman officials are going to want to keep the peace in Jerusalem. The best way to keep the peace in Jerusalem is to get rid 
of Paul. It's what they want to do, and because they they believe that Jesus and the followers of Jesus were were ruining the their their understanding of the religious law, and then so in the in the following verses, Paul begins to speak and say some things. I'd like to skip down to verse fourteen in Paul's defense of himself. In verse fourteen, he says, "I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors." as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. So there it is. I mean, early Christians were were called, the Christianity was called the way. And so he's admitting that he's following the way. And that's That's got to put him right in the crosshairs now of these religious leaders. When, when he admits that he is a follower, he doesn't name the name Jesus there, but he does name the Nazarene sect as the way, which was language that was had been used for this group of people. And, and he says, as a follow-up to that, I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Now, wait a minute. The chief priest would not have been in favor of that resurrection. But, you know, I don't, I don't know what's, what's all going on here in, in Paul's mind as he's speaking to them. And he, he ends up saying, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. The Paul, Paul, I mean, lays it on the line and, and does say that he's a follower of the way. He, he's willing for that to be presented there, um, why? Why, why? Why do that in this moment? You're under, you're under arrest, and the Jewish religious authorities and, and the Roman secular authorities have you under their thumb, but he's going for it. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't shy away from, from who he is. He doesn't shy away from his relationship uh, with Christ uh, by any means. And so, yeah, he just, you know, as we're fond of saying, he just kind of leans into it and uh, just continues to to do what what he's done uh, in the past. Yeah, he basically he goes on in the summary of verses seventeen and following says, "Look, I just came to Jerusalem to bring an offering. I mean, the people people collected an offering, and I came to bring it. This offering for the poor that, that are in this city." And there are people over in the province of Asia, which we would know as Western Turkey today, Asia Minor. And he said, you know, if they have charges, they could have been brought here to bring those charges against me. But where are they? And that's people I've been ministering to. That'd be over in Ephesus. Uh, where are they? You don't have any of those folks here. So he he's willing to put his life on the line, but also to kind of present his case at the same time. And then Felix, verse 22, the governor, Felix, who was well acquainted with the way. Now, that was a little bit of a surprise to me when I, when I read that again. This, this, the, way, the way, which was Christianity, early, early, early Christianity, was getting to be well-known. And this Roman governor who was in the same spot, remember, that Pontius Pilate had held, this 
this Roman governor was as well acquainted with it. What, what do you, I mean, how, how is that? These Roman people that were not necessarily followers of the Jewish faith and weren't really looking for a religious experience outside of their Greek gods and goddesses. Was it white, that widespread at this point, do you think, in, in and around Judea, which we, we call Israel today? Was, was it that pervasive? Uh, it was starting to spread. It was starting to move. We're a couple decades into it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm asking you questions that probably none of us have an answer for, but it just was a surprise to me this guy was well acquainted with it. Yeah, and some of it might have been born as w- uh, of the fact that as as Christianity is spreading uh, during this time, by no by no means any kind of uh, uh, dominant group, um, but and yet but yet spreading and spreading rapidly, and it, it wasn't some you know unknown uh, sect that uh, that either Felix had been become uh, acquainted with it just because of its growth and I'm who knows there might have been people close to Felix that had become followers of the way uh or Felix got curious and went and did a little research on his own as this group as this the you know uh this sect the way as it was growing um he got curious and went and did some some legwork to to find out more about it he he seemed to want to know more about it uh, it goes on in verses 22 and 23, that is, to say that he kept him, kept him under arrest, under guard, gave him some freedom. His friends could come and go. And then down in verse 24, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. So there might have been some curiosity as you're talking about on Governor Felix's part. He listened to him, but he didn't buy it all. Well, so to speak, 25, as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough. (laughs) Stop. You can leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. And this is an interesting statement that Luke makes as he writes the book of Acts, verse 26. At the same time, the governor was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. So Luke's analysis of the reason that Felix sent for Paul was not to learn more about Jesus, but to bring him um, hoping eventually that Paul and some of his friends who were coming and going would offer him a bribe, some significant cash, and he could just let Paul go. It's a, this went on for a while because it says in, in verse 27, it finishes up when two years had passed. So for two years, Paul's under, in, in like in this beautiful palace. He's under arrest. People are coming and going. He's got a lot of opportunities to speak to the guard and to, and to talk about Jesus to the governor himself, but he wouldn't offer a bribe. And therefore, he, he stays under arrest for two years. Yeah, sometimes like these little verses, um, I, I bypass them, or I, I zing past them. But two years is a really long time to to stop and to wait and 
to be under guard and to hear all the all the sounds and look out the window maybe and see all the sights of this modern city which had so much going for it and you're stuck and i don't know if at some point in there in month 6 or 18 or i don't know where paul's like am i ever getting out of here um it just seems like a long time I don't know what your response to that is, but it's it's just easy to bypass that verse. And I, I don't know why why I'm making a big deal out of it. It just seems like a long time to kind of go yeah. back and forth and wait. And like, maybe I'm never going to Rome. Yeah. And I, there's no doubt those those thoughts, unless Paul had, had been given some sort of clarity, the spirit had given him clarity mm-hmm. that he was definitely going to Rome, but the Luke doesn't say that. Um, but again, it, it's a reminder uh, to us, and I'm sure that I've, I've spoken into this and, and maybe been redundant on it, but it's a reminder to us that, you know, there, there's a lot of times in life where we have a tendency to get frustrated in the waiting, you know, because, because we do, because we want immediate, uh, we want immediate response. We want immediate growth. We want whatever it is that we want. We want it now. And, uh, and Paul is imprisoned for two years here, and God's still on the throne, you know, mm-hmm. right. still in control. Um, I have a feeling that, that Paul probably slept okay at night, not worrying or wrestling with the angst of, you know, am I going to, to get out of here? I've got places to go. I've got the gospel to preach. Uh, I think Paul rested in the knowledge that, at the end of the day, God was in control. And if it meant that he was going to be stuck in prison for two years or five years or however long, that's just where God had him. And he was going to be faithful wherever God had him. That's a good word. It's really a good word for all of us to remain faithful no matter what. Well, after two years, it's out with Felix and in with Festus, you know, that, there was a, a changing of leadership, of governorship, and so Paul's going to have a new opportunity with a new leader there in Caesarea, and we'll take a look at that next time. Folks, if you would like to jump in deeper, we invite you to go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, find the church app, and then click on the Be On Mission link. That will take you to more elements of this year-long study. This includes daily Bible readings, devotions, poems, weekly sermons, or other episodes of this podcast, which we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, may God bless.